Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on October 2nd, 2022. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There, you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to help sustain the ministries at St. Mark's, you'll find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Jan Rood with a Gospel reading. The Holy Gospel for this season in creation, when we remember creatures, is found in the Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter beginning with the 12th verse. And these are the verses that immediately follow the story of Jesus' baptism. So, right after Jesus' baptism, Mark says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Four Sundays ago, we began the season of creation by reading the full story of creation that's recorded in Genesis 1. And now, as we near the end of this season in the life of the church, we come back to some of those key verses in that story that have special significance for us as we consider our place as human creatures in all of this. As we heard again, the Genesis story has human and all non-human creatures created on the same day. In other words, all creatures have a common origin and a common bond that's woven into creation by God. In those verses we just read, we also learned that the first vocation or calling given to human creatures is related to this relationship. But when God says that this vocation involves dominion over all the other creatures, then we enter into language that's been sadly misunderstood and really tragically used by humans throughout history to justify abuse of creatures and abuse of the earth. In an article about degradation of the earth in the Smithsonian Magazine, the author pointed this out by referring to Genesis 1 and saying, many people have used the call to have dominion as justification for using nature as a convenience. Thus, it says, the spread of Christianity, which is generally considered to have paved the way for the development of technology, may at the same time have carried the seeds of the wanton exploitation of nature that's often accompanied technological progress. In truth, our flawed way of understanding what dominion means in Hebrew scripture has not only led to wanton exploitation of nature, but it's also led to conditions in our world today that threaten our own well-being, including all of the especially severe storms that we're experiencing this week. So what might God really mean when God says that humans are meant to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth? Since that same word, dominion, or to have dominion, occurs in many other passages in Hebrew scripture, 
It helps to look at those passages for context. As the late Jim Limburg of Luther Seminary points out, most of the occurrences of that word dominion in Hebrew scripture are in political contexts having to do with the rule of kings like Solomon who had dominion over the West Euphrates territory. But the purpose of this dominion, Limburg notes, for Solomon and all kings was always to preserve peace and safety for those ruled and to uphold a special concern for the most vulnerable among them. So when Genesis 1 speaks about human beings exercising dominion over the earth and its creatures, the language is connected to the sphere of politics where kings are called to be caretakers and guardians of God's shalom. But if we know from the stories told in Hebrew scripture that this always posed challenges for kings who loved power, just as it does for all of us humans who like to control things in ways that work for us, when it comes to our relationship with creatures, some of my own personal experience happens right here in my own backyard. I love the fact that we have preserved wilderness areas where animals can roam freely. But when it comes to this area inside my fence, I want my relationship with animals to happen on my terms. I enjoy feeding the birds that come and go throughout the year, watching the squirrels chase each other around this old growth cherry tree. But I also shake pellets onto these plants around here which are meant to kill the slugs that come here for a feast. In essence, I want the kind of dominion where I control things in ways that work for me. And that's especially true of this pond that I co-created as a haven for goldfish and koi and as a beautiful, restful place for humans. But there is another species of creature that loves this pond also. In some languages, they are called washing bears because they like to wash everything, including themselves, on a regular basis. We know them as raccoons. And for many years, I considered them my arch enemy in the animal world. It didn't matter that their ancestors have lived for centuries on this land where my home was built. I just wanted them to live somewhere else. They do come every night all year round. They trample down the grasses and ferns that I've carefully planted. They leap into this pond and swim around with wild abandon. And when they do this, they get this water all dirty. They make it impossible to grow plants inside the pond. So several years ago, I started trying a variety of tactics to control my environment by deterring the raccoons from coming anywhere near this haven. The first failed attempt was a motion-activated sprinkler that shot out a jet of water from right over there every time a creature walked in front of it. It didn't occur to me that raccoons actually love water. So I think it actually added even more enjoyment for them in their nightly visits. And as it turned out, I was actually the only one that was affected adversely every time I walked in front of it without remembering that it was activated. My next attempt at deterrence involved another 
motion-activated device that emitted a high-pitched frequency that creatures like raccoons are supposed to hate. It even had a little dial on it with settings for moles, raccoons, deer, and other animals. I actually have a feeling that they all possibly emitted the same sound, but it was clearly made for people who wanted to believe they were in control. In reality, it made no difference at all for the raccoons, but it did bother the sensitive ears of my children, so that went away. My most desperate and foolish attempt, I'll have to admit, involved the online purchase of coyote urine, which I sprayed onto plants around this pond. In truth, I actually had no way of verifying that it really was coyote urine, but it was supposed to strike fear into the hearts of raccoons. It actually did turn out to be a deterrent, not for the raccoons, but for my housemates who no longer wanted to go anywhere near this pond. It was at that point that one of them pointed out the hard truth that the raccoons are actually smarter than me. The beginning of peaceful coexistence came when I finally abandoned my efforts to keep these creatures at bay and just accept the fact that they belong here too. I'm not going to say that it's easy, but it has opened me to see things and appreciate things that I didn't before, like the good that exists in all of God's creatures. I started watching the way that the mother raccoons care for their offspring, even teaching them to swim by nudging them into this pond and making sure they're okay as they learn that part of life. Earlier this year, I even paid close enough attention to notice when the family numbers changed surprisingly one night. In addition to the mother with her three juvenile youngsters that came every night, there was now a tiny new one with them. A quick Google search taught me that mother raccoons give birth to only one litter per year and that the average litter size is two to five babies. So where did this new one come from? I won't lie by saying that I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I did perk up some weeks later when my neighbor said that her husband had tried to give assistance to a baby raccoon that had fallen out of that huge tree that you see behind me on the other side of the alley. He had even built a ramp for it in hopes that it could climb back up into the tree and be reunited with its family. But sadly, the family had disappeared and the little one was on his own. The common origin and the common bond that I share with all creatures was actually stirred up within me when I heard her talk about that because that's when I started to think about this orphan being adopted by a mother who already had her hands full with three adolescents. I share that story not to romanticize relationships with all creatures. Without a doubt, there is still danger that is very real in a world where predators eat prey and animals of all kind act in self-defense when they are threatened. As a carnivore, I also acknowledge how complicated this gets when we consider our relationships with animals that are raised for food or caught in the wild and consumed. In the end, though, what I'm hearing in the creation story is 
the truth that all creatures, great and small, are part of an interconnected and interdependent world in which all life is sacred. Coast Salish people have remembered this in their coexistence with wild creatures here for thousands of years, including the relationship they have with salmon that's acknowledged even when those salmon become food for human consumption. Conservationists have also demanded this acknowledgement that all life is sacred in efforts to protect and to preserve all species, especially those whose lives are most endangered by human selfishness and greed. Animal rights activists have cried out for this as well, not only for the sake of wild creatures, but for the creatures that share our homes and the ones that are raised as livestock on farms of all kinds throughout the world. The dream of God, it seems, is that we will all coexist peacefully and that all of us human creatures will exercise our dominion as caretakers and guardians of God's shalom. That dream of peaceful coexistence is beautifully expressed in the passage from Isaiah that we heard today, and it is modeled in that short gospel story about Jesus' first days of ministry following his baptism. Before Jesus had any interactions with human beings, Mark says that Jesus spent 40 days with the wild beasts in the wilderness. For me, that's not just a side note. More than anything, I hear it as a profoundly important sign of the peaceful coexistence that God wills for every human and non-human creature. And if Jesus' ministry begins there, then I think we can learn to see it also as our starting place for the joy of living into that vocation and for the will and the tenacity to pursue it in spite of our desire to control things in ways that work for us, I say thanks be to God. Amen.